Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 9 this morning. What a beautiful reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ that literally in this moment, Christ stands before the Father on our behalf. And he pleads his death in our place. That it is his payment for our sins that makes us acceptable. What a beautiful reality that before the Father right now, Jesus pleads for us based on his righteousness. That it is his perfect life that makes us acceptable before God. How freeing is that this morning? What, what joy it should bring to our hearts. What, what excitement we should have in the gospel today. What, what bliss we should have in Christ. Because before the throne of God, we have an advocate who is Jesus Christ. And it is that joy that undergirds the whole book of Philippians. Last week we began this study, Joyful Witnesses. And as we've already been reminded this morning, Paul is in a Roman prison. And yet this church in Philippi that he planted, uh, they care for him. They're concerned for him. And so they send a man, Epaphroditus, with an offering uh, to take care of the Apostle Paul. And yet he gets sick along the way. And so the church at that point is worried about Epaphroditus. They're worried about Paul. Once Epaphroditus gets to Paul, he sends him back with this letter. And he says, you don't need to be anxious for anything because of the gospel. You don't need to worry. You need to trust in the gospel. The gospel that we're singing about that meets all of our physical needs, that will meet all of our needs in Christ now and for eternity. Hope and trust in the gospel. And that is where our joy comes from. This morning, we're going to look at verses 3 through 9 in Philippians chapter 1. And so if you would, uh, zero in, focus. If you're in a place where you can stand in reverence to the Word of God, do that at this time. Parents, this would be a great opportunity to teach your kids in this moment the the importance of the Word of God. There's probably chaos in your home right now. There are probably Fruit Loops and Cheerios all over the kitchen. Just stop, stop, and hear the Word of God together as a family. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel From the first day until now. And I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you. Will bring it to completion. At the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me. To feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me. Of grace. Both in my imprisonment. And in the defense and confirmation. Of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. So and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the church. We thank you for your spirit. And in this moment, in this very unique circumstance, we all tap into that. We, we tap into your gifts and your work and what you have provided for us. And we do so for our joy. God, nothing in this world will bring us joy and happiness like the gospel. And it transcends all suffering. God, it, it transcends all joyless moments. The gospel is still there like the sun and will be there forever in the son who is Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You have the personality of a spoon. Now, the band's laughing because they, they probably heard this story before, some of them. But those kind words were directed at me from one of my closest friends, Nate Bevere. Pastor Nate Bevere, uh, the music and worship pastor at uh, Ashland Lex. And he was rebuking me. And he was saying to me, unless you are preaching... You're, you, you show no emotions. You have the personality of a spoon. And it was a stinging rebuke. And I would say it's probably not as accurate as he thought it was in that moment. And if you knew me then, you would probably say, ah, that's a little, that's a little too much there, Pastor Nate. But I'll for, never forget the sting of that comment. And, and from that moment on, I've tried to, to work on that as a pastor and over the last six weeks, I'll say this. I wish I had not have worked so hard on showing emotion. I wish I hadn't have tapped into that part of my personality because the last six weeks of this quarantine have literally been the most emotional time of my life. And Danae will tell you, uh, the night before having to come to this place and preach to this empty warehouse. I, I just went to her and literally cried like a baby. said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I've been in prayer times with, with the band since then. And actually, one time I was crying so hard. And uh, I wasn't even going to let them tell you guys about this moment. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get it out. Uh, but I, I was in such uh, an emotional wreck that Clay had to finish my prayer for me. Now, I've been shook at funerals before, but I usually only cry like that when I watch Old Yeller or the end of Days of Thunder or if I'm watching Dale Earnhardt highlights. So that was really out of nowhere for me. And yet over time, over the last six weeks, sort of moved from mourning to uh, contentment and joy and what God is doing, even to gladness. I've seen some of you in recent days on essential ministry encounters. And so when you're a pastor, most everything is an essential ministry encounter, whether it's riding motorcycles, kayaking, fishing. And so I've had to have some of those essential ministry encounters with you. And in those moments, I, I, I almost lose my mind with thankfulness that I get to see you. I was in Meyer this week and I saw Donna McDaniels and I couldn't believe it. A church member in Meyer and I stood over in front of the, the broomsticks looking for broomsticks with tears running down my face. And people were probably like, what is wrong with 
this guy. Uh, Pam Simpson brought over food this Friday, and, and she stayed at a distance, and she placed the banana pudding on the hood of my car, and after she left, I went over and picked it up and just started crying over her banana pudding. I couldn't believe I got to saw a church member, got to see a church member. I see some of your kids every now and then, and I'm, I, I'm probably like the, the weird old grandma who just looks at them and is like, they're getting so big. I haven't seen them in such a long time, and they've grown so big. And Danae says, you've got to stop saying the same thing to your guy friends over the quarantine. They've grown so big, too. But I, but I see these kids and, and I miss them so much and I'm so happy to see them. Some of these kids who run around here and break things. Some of these kids who have broken things in my living room and, and I want them to come back to this building now and swing on the curtains and break things in my living room. I miss them so much. I, I saw the McDowell's the other day and, and I was just staring at Brian because I hadn't seen him in so long. And I was like, man, I just want to hug you right now. And Kristen said, do I need to leave? Do, do, am I interrupting something? And so uh, if you've known me before uh, this quarantine, you probably wouldn't even recognize me now. I am so, Pastor Nate would be so happy and so glad that I've tapped in to my emotional side. But that's probably been the case for all of us. We're, we're all full of these emotions and when we think about our church family, we're so thankful. Even this time of separation makes us so thankful and appreciative for one another. And we get full of emotions, sadness, joy, thankfulness. And Paul begins this letter with all of these kinds of emotions. Now, before this time, I would normally read this section of Scripture, and, and I sort of put these verses in what we call coffee cup Christianity. A, a lot of these verses are just verses you put on coffee cups or the, or the Christian Hallmark card. You, you want to tell another Christian that you're thankful for them, and so you take Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, and you write it out. And, and yet it's more than just sentimental Christianity. It is deep abiding gospel joy that, that binds us together. And you can feel the weight of Paul's words here. His thankfulness and joy that he has in the church. Notice verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Every time I think of you, I am thankful. And he says, always in my prayers, the prayers of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. He says, when I think of you and I begin to pray for you, I am full of joy. You make me happy. And we think about this church in light of all the other churches that Paul did ministry with or that he wrote to. And, and there was so much division and sin and wickedness in churches that Paul wrote to. And you, you feel the angst and you feel the frustration in his soul. And it doesn't seem to be there when he writes to the Philippians. They make him happy. In Galatians, he writes to a church that is marred in false teaching. To the Corinthians, he writes to a church that's full of immorality and division. In Ephesians, he writes to a church that is dividing Jew and Gentile in the fellowship. To the Colossians, 
he writes of a church that is marred in angel and idol worship. In Romans, he's writing to a church in which he is establishing doctrine in which he's going to partner with them in missions with. And to to the Thessalonians, he writes to a church that is suffering. To Timothy, he writes to a young man who's trying to persevere in ministry. To Titus, he writes to a young man who is preparing for ministry and church planning. In Philemon, he's writing in light of forgiveness and reconciliation. And, And yet, all of that seems to be a burden to him. He even writes in one place, in light of all of the persecution I'm enduring, it's anxiety for the churches that weighs me down. And you feel that in all of his letters, that there's a a shadow of rebuke. There's angst in his soul for their well-being. And yet when we get to Philippians, he is full of joy when he thinks about them. And we see here, he talks of this joy when he talks about his prayers. And one of the things we're going to learn in Philippians is that our joy in Christ comes from our other-centeredness as we live out the gospel. And we see that here in Paul's prayer. It is an other-centered prayer. Notice what he does here. He thanks God for what God has done in the church. And then he begins to pray for what God might do in the church, what God has promised to do for the church. And so I want to give you some advice today. If you want to have joy in your prayer life, when you think about others, instead of grumbling and complaining about what God is not doing in their life, where they are lacking, take time and intentionally look and stop and pray and thank God for what He has done in their life. Grumbling, venting, complaining about what God hasn't done in the lives of others, it makes us miserable. We focus in on God, what we might describe God's lacking work of sanctification. Well, that person's opinion, it just infuriates me. I can't, I can't even believe that they're still struggling with that sin. When are they ever going to get it together? Do you know how much they have hurt me? And we we live there, stop and pray, and and look into their life and say, yeah, they drive me crazy, but look at all God has done in their life. And you're probably going to realize God has done more good in their life than the bad that you are focused on. They probably serve more than you're noticing or want to notice. They probably give more than you're even aware of. They're probably more kind than you would ever think. Zero and focus in on those things and do what Paul does here. He is confident in light of what God has done that he will continue to do more. He will continue to do what he has promised to do. Now, how does Paul do this? Or why does Paul do this? It's because of his partnership with them in the gospel. Notice verse 5. He says, I am thankful for you. You bring me joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Now that word partnership is vitally important in the New Testament. And it refers to to the type of fellowship that we have with one another. We talked about this uh, several weeks ago when we were talking about church life and we were talking about Bible fellowship groups. Fellowship, 
in the Bible, it's not just a getting together. It's not just being around one another. Biblical fellowship is holding the gospel. And as you as an individual grab hold of the gospel, you grab hold of the work of Christ for you. You're also holding one another together. And so true biblical fellowship happens around the gospel. And here Paul describes that as a partnership in the gospel. And so Paul even, he informs this fellowship with missions. And it's what we talk about around here. If you want to have genuine fellowship, you want to have real fellowship, don't aim for fellowship. Don't try to work up some fellowship. No, aim for mission. When you serve Jesus together and you're partnered in the gospel together, that's where real fellowship happens. And so hold to Christ and hold to the mission you have together with Christ and your hearts will be bound together. And he says that has happened from the first day until now. Remember last week, the first day Paul goes into Philippi and he goes down by the river and he meets this lady, lady Lydia who is selling these extravagantly expensive garments. And he shares the gospel with her. She believes the gospel and the church begins to meet in her house. He says, from that moment, you have partnered with me in the gospel. I have felt your fellowship around the gospel and around this mission from the first day. And that's why, notice verse 6, I am sure of this, I am confident in this, that he who began that work when you heard the gospel and you believed the gospel, the Spirit began to work in your heart. He's going to continue to do it until Jesus comes back. The completion, the unveiling of Jesus' kingdom on the last day. From that moment you first heard the gospel, God will continue to work. How do I know it? Because I felt your fellowship. And I know, it's, I know you're the real deal because of your commitment to the gospel. Now often we read verse 6 and it's, this generic spiritual growth. And, and we tell people, because you've become a Christian, God is going to continue to grow you in Christ. And that is true. But what Paul is specifically referring to here is their witness for Christ. When you believe the gospel, and we talk about that, Acts 1.8, you become witnesses. The Spirit empowers you as a sign in the world that Jesus is Lord. That the gospel is true. You stand out. You, you highlight. You spotlight the truth. Jesus is king. That is who you are. Your identity has changed. And what Paul is saying here. Is you will continue to witness the gospel. Just like I'm a witness. You will be a witness until Jesus comes. Because that's the purpose of your life. God changed your identity for that purpose. To witness the gospel. And it's the same thing Jesus promised when he said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That confession is telling the truth. Jesus is king. And he says, I know it's true of the, the Philippians. They declared Jesus is king. And I have felt their fellowship. And we have been bound together in that witness. And God is going to continue to do it. And it's an important reminder for us as a church. Because the, the, the work in this building that we do together or, or the, the physical presence of one another here and that witness is, is hindered in this moment. And, and maybe it's not as noticeable, but our identity hasn't changed. Therefore, 
our work before God continues to move. What God has created in this church and what he set this church apart to do, witness Jesus as king, it cannot be stopped. And that's what Paul says here. I am confident, confident that God who began this work is going to keep doing this work. He's going to keep witnessing the gospel. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that suffering and difficulty and, and even the separation it doesn't stop the work God is doing in the life of our church. What Paul's going to teach us in Philippians is suffering actually platforms our witness. And suffering gives us a, a, a platform to say Jesus is better. And God has given us an amazing platform during these days to, to display for the world around us Jesus is better. And we do that together. We do that with one another. One of the things he's going to teach us in Philippians is that we are to live a life worthy of our calling. And you're to view the Christian life as scales. And you have Jesus and you have life. And you, you are to live your life in a way that you say, Jesus weighs more than anything else. Jesus is more valuable than my life. And when you, you put your life on the scale in that way and you say Jesus is better, you platform the gospel. Your witness is relevant. It makes sense to the world around you. And that's what we must do during this time as a church. God has given us so many opportunities to say Jesus is more worthy. We, we, we have opportunities to be generous to one another. To think of others' preferences as more important than our own, than our own opinion. To, to give to one another, to encourage one another, to, to actually think about others, not what's just going on in my little quarantine closet, but what is happening with my brothers and sisters, what's happening with my neighbors, and to care for them. And when we do so, what are we saying? Jesus is more valuable. And we display this gospel here in Richmond and even to the ends of the earth. Paul says that work can't be stopped. I know you're suffering church in Philippi. I'm in prison. But the work God is doing in our lives, it cannot, it will not be stopped. And notice he continues. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. He describes, here we're getting into, Paul describes the most intense form of fellowship you possibly could have. You are deep in my heart. The deepest part of my being. That's where I hold you. For you are partakers of me with grace. Again, this word that signifies partnering together, we share grace together. So you reach out and you hold the grace of God. I'm reaching out and I'm holding the grace of God. And we share the same grace of God together. We partake of this grace. Now, one of the ways in which he's going to describe the grace of God in Philippians is a grace not only to believe in the gospel but a grace to suffer for the sake of the gospel. He's going to tell them, it has been granted to us not only that we would believe in Jesus, but that we would suffer for Jesus. It's grace. And we partner in that grace. We are suffering together. And because we are suffering together, we are bound together. I'm holding you in my heart. And he begins to describe how they have been partakers with him, both in his imprisonment, he preaches the gospel, he's arrested, and his defense, 
I still said it was true. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And the confirmation of the gospel. So when I was in prison for the gospel, when I was defending the gospel, and when I even proved the gospel was true, you were right there with me all along. In Acts 16, when Paul is persecuted for preaching, the church in Philippi, doesn't, they don't abandon him. He says, you had my back. You were there the whole way. You're still there. You're sending me gifts and letters in, in a Roman prison. You got my... It wasn't as though, Paul, you're this weirdo, outcast. No, we're all weirdos. We're all outcasts in the city. If what Paul is saying is, is crazy, then we're all going to be fools for Christ. That, that's how you looked at my ministry. And we see suffering for Jesus, it solidifies our fellowship. That's what's going on with Paul here. And, and I want to encourage you. you. You want to grow in the context of a church. You want to grow in your fellowship. It's not wrapped up in a program. It, it's not wrapped up in a small group philosophy. It, it's wrapped up in so identifying with Jesus. And being so closely to him. Following him so closely that the world looks at you, and it's exactly what Jesus said. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And you walk so closely to Jesus that the world around you at times hates you. And you look around and you say, all I've got is Jesus. And Jesus says, no, that ain't all you got. You got one another. And you may lose things in this life. You may lose job. You may lose money. You may get an F in a certain class because you are so closely aligned to Jesus and with his teachings. We may one day lose our religious liberty in this country, but the reality is we can't lose Jesus. And because we can't lose Jesus, we can't lose one another. And it is that kind of suffering that will bind us together. And it's that kind of suffering we can't be scared of. We can't be fearful of because we have one another and there is a joy in fellowshipping with one another in the sufferings of Christ together. And we know that, not just suffering that comes from our witness. We, We know that in general. When we suffer with one another, we're bound more tightly to one another. We, we know that on the sports teams that we've been a part of. If you've gone through two-a-days with others, you've gone through the grueling practices, you've gone through the, the losses together, you've gone through the tough times together, and some of you look back on your high school days, and, and you don't even know what your records were, but you know the fellowship that you had with your brothers and sisters. You, you know you, you're bound together for life. And the same thing happens in the context of the church and that's why I want, I want to call you to embrace the suffering that comes from this quarantine. It's an odd type of suffering that we're enduring. One, I don't know that throughout the history of the church you've ever, we've ever had to endure this kind of suffering. It, it is a suffering that separates us from one another. But it's also a suffering that is binding us together through the pain of separation. We are sad that we're apart. But even in that sadness, God is doing an amazing thing in bringing us joy and longing to be together. And and we sometimes imagine what it's going to be like to be together. We, we, we remember what it was like. We, we post those 
pictures on social media and we scroll through them and we see this place packed with people and it, it, it causes us to, to weep at times. And it, even in that sadness, we're being bound together because we're longing for something more. And it's suffering. It's the fellowship in suffering that is binding us together in the gospel. And that's why Paul would continue in verse 8. And he would say, for God is my witness, which is, it's a play on words. I'm witnessing Jesus is king. God is witnessing that, that all the words I'm saying is true. Now, why would he have to say, God is my witness? Because he said some really intense things here. I love you this much, and I find great joy in you. And, and the tendency to say, yeah, right, Paul. These are just flowery words, coffee cup verses. Yeah, right. He says, no, God is my witness. This is true. I hold you in my heart this intensely. And then he says, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, the word here for affection actually is the word for bowels. And in the New Testament, get your kids under control. I know they may be laughing now. You're having to look at them. What's a bowel? And now you're going to explain that to them. But in the New Testament, to describe the sort of love and affection you have in, in the gospel, that was how it was described. The deepest part of my being. I love you in my bowels. Now, the way that we talk about it is hearts. And we draw little hearts and we say, I heart you. Now, around here, we can start saying, I bow you. Don't do that. It doesn't carry the same meaning, I guess. But that's what he's describing here. I yearn for you in the deepest part of my being with the, the, the bowels of affection that we have in the deepest part of love, the deepest level of love. That's how I love you. And notice how he wraps it up in, in Jesus. I love you the way Jesus loves you. How amazing is that? I have the sort of affection for you that Jesus had. The one who died for your sins on the cross. The one who has given you everything in God's grace. I love you that way. And notice he continues. And it is my prayer that your love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And I know I said earlier I was going through verse 9. I should have said verse 11. I don't know why I'm doing that on camera. I keep saying the wrong uh, verses. But anyway, we're going to keep going. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Paul says, I love you. I find joy in our fellowship. And what does it lead him to do? To pray for their holiness. That's how we would sum up verses 9 through 11. Paul says, I love you enough to care most of all for your holiness and your righteousness. I want what's best for you. And what is it? That you love the way Jesus loves. Notice that you have knowledge. The knowledge he's talking about here. Is understanding the gospel. And living the gospel out. Which is what is described as wisdom and discernment. You know what wisdom and discernment is? Knowing best how to love one another more. How do I apply the gospel to this relationship? How do I love you? Paul says, I want to see that in the church. I want your love to continue to grow and, and flourish so that you may approve, so that you may prove the gospel is true, so that you may witness the gospel is true. 
And notice, so that you would be pure, so that you would be without sin, so that you would be blameless, without the accusation of sin, and so that you would produce the fruit of righteousness, so that the fruit of the gospel, living a right life before God and others, would be seen in your life. So I want to see you holy. I want to see you righteous. I, I want to see the gospel applied to your life in the way that you relate to one another and love one another, living together in wisdom. I want to see your love multiply. I want to see you holy. Why? To the glory and praise of God. The the word glory means weight. I want to see you live in such a way that Jesus weighs in and that Jesus is praised, that Jesus shines most in your life. Jesus is the most valuable treasure And so when you put him on the scales, he weighs more than anything else. And Jesus is the brightest treasure in your life. People see it. They're blinded by by Jesus because of the way that you live. I want to see that you are holy. Now, let's unpack this for just a moment. Notice the way holiness works. Remember, it begins with Paul's love for them. I love you so much, I can't even describe it. And because I love you, I want you to be holy. What does holiness look like? Notice verse 9. Your love abounds. Holiness is wrapped up in love. The, the wisdom and discernment is understanding how to love one another. And when you love one another, you are pure from sin. You are without accusation. And you are producing in your life, notice the verse, the fruit of righteousness. But it's all rooted in the affections of Christ. Christ's love. This is why holiness without love is not holiness. You can have rules and you can have programs and you can have the the doctrine, the way that you think, what you think should be done and how it should be in this way, how people should dress and how people should look. And you can call that holiness. But if you use that in an unloving way, it's not holiness. Holiness is wrapped up in love. Holiness is how do I love you the way Jesus loved. Jesus was the the holiest person who ever existed. And what did he do? He sacrificed himself for your good no matter what. And so holiness is wrapped up in love. And so we've got to ask the question today. How do I become holy? How, How do I produce the fruit of righteousness? We we read these words and and Paul writes to churches and says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be blameless. How is that even done? And we even read these words, pure, blameless, righteous. And, and if you know the gospel, you know that ain't me. The bad news is I'm not pure. The bad news is I'm not blameless. God has all kinds of accusations against me. And, and the bad news is I am not righteous. I don't do the right thing. And compared to Jesus, I, am, I have fallen short of His glory and of His righteousness. So how do you pursue holiness? Well, it's in the love of the gospel. Notice how he begins. I love you the way Jesus loved you. And Jesus' love is not in just demanding righteousness of us. What does Jesus do? He provides righteousness for us. You... You become holy, not by your own holiness, but by understanding Jesus is the one who was holy for you. 
and you embrace his love for you. Notice the way righteousness is described. It is the fruit of righteousness. Fruit of what righteousness? Jesus' righteousness. And in the gospel, when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, we are justified. Meaning we are declared righteous. It is as though we have always obeyed and we never sin. And so I would tell you today, if you want to be holy, reflect on God's love for you. If you want to be holy, be enamored with Jesus' righteousness. And you can say, I don't love perfectly, but I've been perfectly loved. And that sort of love causes you what? To love others. That's what holiness is. I have no righteousness. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I have nothing to offer God. And yet he has given me Jesus' righteousness. And there is no holes in Jesus' righteousness. Perfect, without blemish. It is what God demands of us. And I reflect on His righteousness, one who never sinned. And as I say, that has been credited to my account before God. What does that cause in my heart? It causes me to want to be righteous. And so we tap into God's love, Jesus' love for us. We tap into His righteousness for us. Notice the way this works. Paul is able to long that they be holy and then trust that it is Jesus who will make them holy. This is something I had to learn with my own kids. From the moment they were born, Danae and I would pray this prayer for them. We, we want you to love Jesus more than anything. And we prayed that every day for their life. That the, the sum total of their life, whatever it looks like, whatever they do, how much, ever money, they, how much money they ever make, we just want you to love Jesus more than anything. And over time, I've realized that I have really no control over that in their life. I have necessary boundaries in my house. I have rules that are going to, it's going to put them in a situation and circumstances and where they can hear the gospel and understand what it means to love Jesus. But I can't make them love Jesus. My, my rules will not make them love Jesus more than anything. Their happiness and their holiness will have to be a work of God. And they're going to have to be enamored with God's love for them to love like Jesus and to love Jesus. They're going to have to be enamored with Jesus' righteousness for them to love Jesus' righteousness for them. God's going to have to do that. And that is actually something I have been learning with our church over the last six weeks. When, when all this started to happen, one of the, if you know me, you know I'm just a, a control freak. And, and I think I control way more than I actually control. And I've learned I really don't control much at all. And learning that as a pastor has been a very, very difficult thing over the last six weeks. You wonder, how are people going to grow in their faith if they're not hearing my sermons? How are they going to become holy if they're not seeing me every week preach a sermon and in this place with one another? How is that going to happen? And this week, on Wednesday at lunch, we, we, we gathered on Zoom, Clay and I, with, uh, and the other staff with folks uh, in the church for a prayer time. And, and the question I wanted to know was what is God doing in your life? And it was, one of, it was another one of those emotional times as I heard people just share their testimony over the last six weeks. People were saying, you know what? I'm spending more time in the Word. 
You know what? I've learned to, to pray better. You know what? I was so busy doing so many other things. I'd forgotten that Jesus is the most important thing. And, and it was testimony after testimony. Folks talking about sharing the gospel with their neighbor. Talking about sharing the gospel with international folks who live next to them. And they're in quarantine and they have to stay away from each other. And they have to wear face masks. And yet they speak another language. And they're trying. They're saying, I don't even know how this is going to work out. And again... I, I was brought to tears by this fact. Your holiness has very little to do with me. And, and as I looked into those testimonies, and it's probably a really bad sample size because the reality is the most holy people are going to be those who, shi- who sign up for a uh, prayer time with the pastor midday on Wednesday. So if you want to be holy, you should do that. But it was a, probably a, a bad sample size of our church. But it was like an oasis in the desert. Because God is completing the work he began in you. He, he's still bringing this witness to fruition. He, he's still making our church holy. And all of that has nothing to do with my love for you. As you, as you experience the sweetness of the gospel. As you grow in holiness and righteousness because of Jesus' love for you and Jesus' righteousness in your place. That's Jesus' love for you. And that's something to be emotional about. 